let's look at what God has to say in His Word. So turn with me once again to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to start there and we're going to move to another passage of Scripture. And I give you some Scripture from other places as we go this evening. But Ephesians chapter number 4. And this morning we considered the matter out with the old. And for some reason Brother Richard came back tonight. Out, out with the old. It'll take. Wow, some of you apparently didn't get your nap or something. You just missed that one. When, when God saves us from the shackles of sin, think about the song we just sang. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. When God saves us from the shackles of sin, there are some sinful things that we ought separate from. There, there's some things that ought to move out of our lives. And we looked at those this morning. And But it's not enough just to get rid of the bad. You know, as well as I know, there must be a replacement. That that mm, space that's left, that's, that spot that's left, that hole that's there must be filled with something and it must be filled with the right thing. So... Tonight, here's what you might call part two of this morning's message. Some of you already know what the title is because you know what the saying is. Out with the old, in with the new. That's where we are tonight, in with the new. Ephesians chapter 4, and look with me at verse, I almost said Ephesians chapter 22, and that would have confused us all. Ephesians chapter 4, look again at verse number 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So tonight we're going to talk about this matter of in with the new. Father, I pray you'll help us now. Uh, as we come to your word, we certainly, Lord, need to hear from you tonight. We, as we look in your word, I pray that you give us a clarity of mind and speech and help us to be a help to these who've come tonight, those who are watching the service as well. Lord, we, we want to honor and glorify you in everything that we do. And I pray that you'd give us what we need uh, for this hour and for the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> There's something interesting, and I'm going to tell it to you now because uh, I don't think I mentioned this uh, later on. I, I don't remember it uh, being in the notes. And, uh, you know, I've been hanging around you all for so long. Now I start to forget things. And uh, <laughs> Thanks, Brother Richard. I appreciate that. And, uh, <laughs> so honored, you know, I started, I've, I've reached that point in my life where I, Start making noises now when I sit down and stand up. Yeah, you know, y'all laugh. You're right there too. You know, they said, "What was it?" Uh, something I read, and I and I've so I've been kind of watching people. It said, like in your in your fifties, you have to you know grab onto the arm of the chair to get up, and then when you're in your sixties, you start to have to slide to the front of the chair and then push yourself up. And in the seventies, uh, you need somebody to come over and help you up. And uh, 
you're testifying here. Look at her. And, uh, you know, and so I just, you know, I just sort of been watching folks to see, you know, what's in store. So, but I want to tell you this before I forget. You all got me confused and now I forgot what I was going to say. <clears throat> yeah, out with the old. Let's go in, in with some new. In Ephesians chapter 4, and we looked at verses 25 through 31 this morning. And if you'd notice, Paul spends quite a bit of time now talking about these things, uh, these elements, you would say, of that old manner of living, that, that life before salvation, those things in our life that ought to be put out of our life. And he spends a lot of time with that. He spends very little time with the new. In fact, if you look at verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4, there's really, you know, here here he goes. Well, we could use 31 as well. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So he spends a lot of time talking about the old to get out. And he, in just a couple of verses about the, the new, you know, to put in. Well, in the passage that we're going to go to, he spends very little time talking about the old to push out and a lot of time talking about the new to push in. But they both, they just, they, they, they're talking about the same thing. We see a lot of the same words. We see a lot of the same thoughts in both of these passages as he writes to these letters to these two uh, different groups of believers, one in Ephesus and one <clears throat> in Colossae. <clears throat> so uh, that's what we're going to look at tonight here in just a moment. We'll, we'll be in Colossians chapter 3 if you want to turn there, but don't go there yet because we've still got to look at Ephesians 4 for a moment. So remember, it's not our work of righteousness to admire. When we, th- when we think about this, when we talked about this this morning, for you and I to have victory over sin, for you and I to be freed from sin, for you and I to be able to put off that old man, it's going to require a change in us that must be worked by righteousness. And, but it's not ours. It's His. We are, we're saved by His righteousness. So, you know, the verse there in Titus, you know, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. So when we remember now, it's not our work of righteousness for us to go around and admire. It's His righteous fruit that our lives are to be adorned with. So, so this isn't something, okay, well, God saved me. God, I'll take it from here. And now I'm going to work all these things into my own life. Just as you couldn't work the bad stuff out on your own, you're not going to work the good stuff in on your own. In fact, it's a product of God's work in your life and in mine as well. <clears throat> And so what we see from that, if we won't remain faithful to put off the old, we'll never be fruitful in our efforts to put on the new. What did Jesus say in in uh, one of the Gospels? He said, can a tree bear both corrupt and good fruit, evil fruit and, or bad fruit and good fruit, evil fruit and good fruit? And, and you think about that now. And, and it's the same thing. If your life is filled with all of the old things, there's not any room for the good things, the new things to grow as they should. Think about it this way. 
when we think about this matter of it's, it's His righteousness and it's His mercy and it's His work in our lives, think about it this way. When it says put off the old man and it says put on the new man, think about this. We don't make the garments. We simply choose to wear the garments. Ephesians 4.22 says the old man's garments are corrupt because of sin. Verse 24 says the new man's garments are clean because of the Savior. So that brings us a question, what are you wearing? Rotten garments of sin's grief or righteous garments of the Savior's grace. This morning, we talked about those sinful things to put off, and they're summarized for us there in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And tonight, let's talk about the sweet things to put on. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So look with me now at Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. This morning I, uh, in our, in our third point, I gave you six old things that need to go. Tonight I want to show you eight in with the new things to put on. Colossians chapter number 3. It would probably help if I turned there too. Colossians chapter number 3. Got eight things for you tonight. Number one is this. Things that, it's good, this this in with the new. Things that, uh, when it says put on the new man, things that you and I ought to adorn our life with. Number one is this, a tender compassion. A tender compassion. Look with me, Colossians chapter 3. Verse number 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. In fact, just back up with me for a moment and look at verse number 9 because I want you to see uh, that Paul is talking about the same thing here. Verse number 9, Lie not one to another. Remember we talked about that lying tongue this morning. Seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we are uh, now made one, made the same uh, in Christ. Verse 12, let's look at this tender compassion. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. All of those things in that verse speak on this matter of compassion. And when you and when I truly care for others with Christ-like compassion you'll find we'll be quick to extend mercy, we'll be quick to act kindly 
to others who are struggling, to others who are suffering. And as a result, and as this compassion is is uh, now birthed within you, you won't think of yourself too highly, uh, you won't promote yourself too arrogantly, but instead you'll be willing to overlook offenses and injuries, remembering that uh, remembering all that Christ suffered on now our behalf because of our sin. Christ suffered, he didn't have to. He suffered because he took our the weight of our sin upon himself. Well, if that be the case, if we're to put on the new man, then that means there ought to be some tender compassion in our lives as well. Now, you'll find some of those when you think about Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and we'll talk about love in a minute, but love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Do you realize long-suffering is a vital element in this matter of compassion? I'm I'm thankful for the long-suffering of God. (laughs) Without that, there'd be no way that He'd shower His love, you know, upon you and upon me. But it says, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, His faith, meekness, temperance, these these things there and and as Paul now writes in verse twelve, put on bowels of mercy. What does that mean? Compassionate guts. In your inner being, it ought to pour forth out of you. Bowels of compassion. It ought not be something fake. It ought to be able to be poured out from you. And look what he says: kindness. Then he says this, humbleness of mind. You know, when I walk around with my nose up in the air thinking that I'm better than everybody else, I'm going to be slow to show compassion. Well, look at that guy. You know, if he was like me, you know, he wouldn't be in that situation. Wait a minute. There but for the grace of God go I. And again, when, when it's the humbleness of mind, remembering all that Christ suffered on our behalf, that we can have the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And wait, that's extended to all mankind. It's available for everyone. Hey, so they're, so right now they're, they're bound in sin and they're lost and they're blinded uh, to the things of God, but God's mercy will still work in their life if they'll just mm, turn to Him and trust Him. How many people do you know who've, you know, that you listen to their testimony and wow, they got this rough testimony of their past, but God got a hold of their heart and God did a work in their life and they got gloriously born again and their life changed, just a complete 180. You say, what happened? They put off the old man and put on the new man all through the work of an almighty God. And a lot of times what you'll find is those folks have a whole lot of compassion for others. What did, what did Jesus say? He said, the one who is forgiven much loves much. Or, you know, and, and the one that was forgiven the most loves the most. And, and, and so when we think about that, and then this matter of humbleness of mind and meekness, you know, again, you, you think about it and remember now, hey, 
I'm born again. I'm saved by the blood of the crucified one. I'm a child of the king. I have an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. I have a place prepared for me in heaven. But it's not because of anything I did. See, but, but that meekness there to say, you know what? You think of meekness. Again, never confuse meekness for weakness. Meekness is power under control. It always is. Look at Moses. He was very meek. I mean, he, he, like us, I mean, he made his mistakes too. But you think about it. They rose up against him and what did he do? He just went to the Lord and he said, God, you know. And what did he, he prayed for the very people that were trying to rise up against him. He probably could have just hit them with that rod, you know, and water would have come out of them. I don't know. Meekness. Christ was meek. You, you think about this for a moment. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and the angry mob comes to arrest Him. He stands up and, you know, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus. And He turns and He says, I am He. And they all fall backwards. But yet He went as a lamb to the slaughter. He had all power. He still has all power. But He was willing now to put that aside. Why? Because the will of the Father had to be done. So when we think about this matter now, of this matter of compassion, we have to be willing to overlook offenses and overlook injuries uh, uh, that, that come our way remembering all that Christ suffered on our behalf. You know, and I use this illustration a lot because I, I relate to it well. So when they forget my french fries in my bag or forget my dipping sauce for my chicken nuggets or forget the cheese on my hamburger, it's not the end of the world. I don't, I, again, I, I don't have to I, I, be ye angry and sin not. I, I don't have to fly off the handle, you know, about that. I can be compassionate about everything in this life call me uh, a name that i don't like and you know what my flesh will bristle against that but is there some compassion there that says you know what maybe that's a person who's hurting and as a result they're just lashing out in hurt and maybe i can just look on them and pray for them and and ask god to work in their life and be be a help to them this matter of compassion we we have to put that on number two a total forgiveness. Number one is a tender compassion. Number two is a total forgiveness. Look with me at verse 13. Colossians 3, verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let, let me just remind you of something tonight. I'm not perfect. And neither are you. And as a result, you and I, 
as imperfect people are going to rub each other the wrong way from time to time. Right, Robert? That's right. Amen. It's just going to happen. We, we still, again, battle this sinful flesh, and we, we, we still often let our own uh, selfish desires and our pride and our uh, different uh, desires uh, rise up, and, and we push for that. Now, I'm not perfect, and you're not. And so there are going to be some times where, you know, things will be a little bit tense between people. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to set out to rub each other the wrong way. Think back to the previous verse. We already talked about the tender compassion. See, a tender compassion won't seek to do that. But unfortunately, we are all prone to fail each other from time to time. Now, now that we know that, think about this. How much of your sinful offense is Christ willing to forgive? All of it. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if He is willing to forgive us for everything, then shouldn't we be willing to forgive others for anything? Oh, but hang on. You know as well as I know how quick we are to hold the littlest of offenses against others. You sat in my spot. You used my coat hanger. You parked in my parking spot. You took the last piece of that pie that I was looking for. I'm not saying that that happens here. Every one of those I have heard at some point in my life in the church house. Well, I don't know why that preacher don't get rid of that song leader. He sings the same songs all the time. We sang that three weeks ago. Doesn't he know that we sang that three weeks ago? There's there's like 800 songs in this book. Couldn't we sing something out? I've heard all of these things. Now, don't think I'm talking about Brother Richard tonight. I used to be a song leader for a long time. I know know how this works. You know, and, and, and so we, we, it seems that oftentimes we set out in the course of our day looking to be offended. Do you know that there is growing in popularity on the internet? Now, I'm not going to give you any names and all that, and I wouldn't recommend you go search for it. But there are people on the internet that spend all of their time watching independent Baptist church services. They spend all of their time. And they'll watch them, they'll watch the preaching, and they're looking for the mistakes. And when they find it, they post it. And they all have a big old laugh about, you know, or or big old criticism about, hey, how about do something for God? Instead of being a critic. You know, just looking to be offended. Just looking. And oftentimes, because they miss that humbleness of mind, they want to elevate themselves, you know, to, to a position. And, and it's a very dangerous place to be. We've got to be humble 
uh, in the sight of the Lord uh, with our life or else we're in great danger. It says only by pride cometh contention in the book of Proverbs. You know how you get rid of contention? You kick the pride out. It says contention will cease. It'll go away. Hey, when it comes to this matter of forgiveness, let me help you tonight. If you don't get that bitterness or that, if you don't get that offense out of your mind, if you don't forgive that one, you say they don't deserve it. Did you? Did I? No. But yet God in His love and mercy forgave us freely and willingly. And He didn't even give us a whole bunch of conditions. You say, well, what, what you preacher, you're giving me conditions. No, God says, hey, this way of living is bad for you and this way of living is good for you. This way of living is only going to hurt you and others. This way of living is going to help you. Now, you can choose not to do this if you want. You realize there are people who get saved and they do nothing. Well, they're still saved as Paul writes to the Corinthians, so as by fire. They have the foundation, but they got nothing built on. This matter of forgiveness now, if you're going to hold an offense in your heart over and over and over and just, and it just let that fester, guess what it grows into? Bitterness. Bitterness. And when you're bitter, you're not a benefit to yourself or others. So when it comes to this matter of forgiveness, we ought to be quick to forgive. You say, but they didn't ask. Doesn't matter. You realize the major part of forgiveness. You, you can read about this in all sorts of different places. The greatest part of forgiveness, when you release that one, when you, when you uh, forgive them and you release that offense, that helps you heal. That's for your benefit. The forgiveness that you offer, it's going to help you. It says, if Jesus will forgive us, then we ought to forgive others. And not just for a little while either. Some people hold on to those little things forever. Let me tell you, they've got the rotten bitterness to prove it. I've seen it. I've watched it. And it is not a help. It's only a hurt. You've got to get that out and get this matter of forgiveness in your life. Stop. You're going to like my grammar here, I hope. Stop being a fault holder on tour and be a forgiver. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You say, preacher, that's not easy. I get it. I get it. That's why you can't do it on your own. Can't. You're going to need God's help to do that. Number three. So we looked at a tender compassion, a total forgiveness. Look with me at number three. I told Brother Tom this morning, the, the morning message and tonight's message originally was all supposed to be one. Yeah, out with the old, in with the new. It was all going to be in just one message. And then as we started, the deeper we studied, the deeper that we dug, the bigger it got. And so i got to hurry so we can get done. Um, number three. 
A tight-knit love. A tight-knit love. Look at verse 14. And above all these things. So wait a minute. Above the tender compassion, above the total forgiveness, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let me say it this way. You and I will never have a complete and close bond together if we can't forgive each other and love each other the way that God loves us. Say, how does God love us? Without coercion, without condition. That charity, that perfectly binding love, is not naturally found within you and it's not naturally found within me. That's why the Bible says we have to put it on. It's a supernatural product of God within us. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The same Greek word for love uh, there in Galatians 5.22 is used for the word charity here in Colossians 3 and verse 14. And it's the Greek word agape. Agape is the kind of love that is felt by a person willing to do anything for another, including sacrificing themselves without expecting anything in return. That's the kind of love word. When Jesus looked at Peter and said, Lovest thou me? That's the kind of love that he's talking about. And that third question. That's hard. But I don't know. What, what, what did Jesus say? Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. We're talking now about this matter of I'm willing to do whatever it takes, whatever I need to do for others, whatever it costs me, whatever it takes. That's that's the love I'm going to have, and I'm not going to expect anything in return. You say, yeah, but preacher, you don't understand. You're going to get taken advantage of. Have you read the Gospels? Jesus said, you're, you're not here for me. You're here for the bread that's on the table. You're here to be healed. You're here to be fed. You, you don't want me. You just want what I can do for you. But he kept doing it. Why? Love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, as the great uh, love chapter. We see that word charity a lot. And let me read to you verses 4 through 7. It says this, charity suffereth long and is kind. Wait a minute. We already saw that. In, in in the first verse we looked at in Colossians here. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That is not something that our flesh naturally does. 
It is only a function of the lovely fruit that God produces within us. We're going to have to put it on if we hope to pour it out. Number four, a tranquil peace. Some of you thought I was going to say a tranquilizer. No. Yeah, wouldn't that be neat if Paul wrote about tranquilizer darts in the in there? We need a, we need one of them around the around the church, especially at VBS time. No, a tranquil peace. Verse fifteen, Colossians chapter three, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. Notice the word there, rule. That means to govern your attitude and direct your actions. And where it says we are called in one body, it means that just as we don't naturally provoke our own selves to strife and unrest, we shouldn't provoke others either. Simple terms. I am not on purpose going to hit myself in the head with a hammer. Just not going to do it. It's going to cause me some unrest. You know what that means? If I'm not going to hit myself in the head with a hammer, then I ought not hit you in the head with a hammer. Now, I mean, that's the, that's the, the, the simple version. If I'm not going to blow my top at myself, then I ought not blow my top at others. Yeah, you, you see this. We're, if we are together now in Christ, we are in that one body. So for me uh, to launch out or lash out, uh, to injure or, you know, or offend another believer, I'm injuring the body of Christ. Well, I'll not do that. We already said we're, none of us are perfect, so we've got to go back to the compassion and forgiveness one. where it says one body we ought not provoke others but think about this with me far too many today now now let me even narrow it down far too many Christians today live for petty drama instead of patient delight Everything has to be drama. Everything has to be conflict. I can't stand that. Just personally. I, there have got to be times. Hush, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> there have got to be times. Where it's just tranquil, where it's just peaceful, where, where there's rest. And here's the thing. When we come together, that, that's the way it ought be. We ought to come together and rest. We get enough strife and contention in this world around us. We ought to come together, rest and recharge to go back out to the battle. So we're going to have to put on some tranquil peace. You know, folks, everything has to be an argument. That, that, my dad was kind of that way. You know, if you told him the sky was red, he'd say, no, the sky is blue. And you would do the same thing. 
But there were days if you told him the sky is blue, he would argue with you about that. Say, why? Just, just, you know, wanna, just wanna. But then he would say, I'm not arguing. I'm just discussing. <laughs> Negative. It seems that we have this rise in our day of folks that have this just unnatural need to be critical, bitter, and angry. Everywhere you go, that's, that's what it seems. But Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, the Bible says, if it be possible, don't forget that little phrase, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. You, you understand as well as I do. There's sometimes it's possible to have peace. And there's other times it doesn't matter what you do, there's not going to be any peace. But when we think about that verse, think about it this way. God is looking for you and for me to be peace seekers, not pot stirrers. A tranquil peace. <clears throat> Number five, a thankful heart. A thankful heart. Verse 15. It goes on where it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which uh, also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, think about it this way. Stop to see if God says peace is possible before you declare that it's impossible and realize that everything doesn't have to be a major problem and it's amazing how thankful you'll be. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, Be careful for nothing. Have no care for anything. Be filled with care for no thing. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Hey, thank God that He guides us and He guards us and He gives us peace that passes all understanding. Thankful for that. Number six, a treasured wisdom. It's another thing to put on. A treasured wisdom. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, let the word of Christ, what's the next word? Dwell. Where? In you. You know how you only let your guests see certain things in your home and other areas are off limits or overly explained? You know how you tend to be on your best behavior when the guests are around? You know how you are still in control of things when the guests come by to visit? It's still your barbecue grill and your thermostat and your refrigerator and your... The Word of God should not be a guest in your life. 
Your life, my life should be a home where the word has permanent residence, uh, permanent residence and access to everything, even the junk drawer, so to speak. We need to know all there is to know about him. And he wants to know all there is to know about us. Don't ask him to visit. Let him dwell. And when you let him dwell, you'll find he'll direct. Number seven, a thoughtful song. A thoughtful song. I like that song we sang, Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. That's a thoughtful song. A lot of doctor. I love the song at Calvary. I love the song, How Great Thou Art. I love the song, Amazing Grace. I love the song, Marvelous Grace or Wonderful Grace of Jesus. I, I like grace greater than our sins. I, 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 do you want, I can list them all out of the hymn book. I love the songs that have the thought of the Word of God and the truth in them. Verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now think with me, a gracious song in your heart will result in a glad sound to the hearer. The more that you and I think about the mercy and grace of God that He has freely shown to us, the more willing we'll be to tell others of His care for them. You won't have to force it in some hypocritical way, but it'll freely flow in heartfelt reality, whether spoken or sung. It matters, and it makes a difference. See, when a great big God moves into a little tiny heart, He's going to poke out and be seen in public. God's sufficient supply of grace to you and me should generate a glorious testimony to others. And that brings us to number eight, a testifying conduct. A testifying conduct. Verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now I want you to know, I really, this verse is really special to me. I really, really, really love this verse. Because often, and I, I know how this goes, I've had people ask me this question, I've asked it myself, often we look for a list of things to do. We look for the Christian checklist of sorts. But this matter of in with the new isn't just a few things, it's our everything. It's the entirety now of our thoughts, of our actions, of our labors, of our attitude from the smallest to the largest. Everything that we think, say, and do should be understood and undertaken to be for the purpose of His honor and His glory. He's worthy. You understand? You say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I don't, I don't have any job. I just, you know, I, I pick up the papers. Uh, the, the loose papers that I find on the floor uh, in the church house. Are you doing it for the Lord? 
Are you doing it for His honor and for His glory? Then it doesn't matter who sees it. Because when your heart is right and you're doing it for Him to bring Him honor and glory, it gives a testimony to others. Everything, and we have to, we have to stop for a minute and think about the things that we say and the things that we do. And we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Am I doing this for my honor and for my glory? Am I doing this for another, or another's honor? Or am I doing this for the Lord? And we ought to start every endeavor that we take realizing, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm doing, and it's not that I have to do this. Do you understand the privilege that it is to serve the Lord? And when we put that on, all of a sudden things seem to change. You say, well, he's, he's worthy. Of course he's worthy. It's his life. The life that I now live is not mine, but it's his. It's been bought with a price. It's His life. It's His power. It's His wisdom. It's His authority. It's His pattern. And it's our privilege to utilize it all for Him. Why? He's worthy. So I close tonight with this. It's past time for you, for me, to truly and totally put off the old man by Christ's power and put on the new man by Christ's provision. See, we put off the old through the power of God and we put on the new by what God gives us to fill that spot. Out with the old, verse 9, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, in with the new, verse 10, put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him just like this morning, tonight uh, for our invitation, the question's the same. What will you do? So you can choose to say, nah, never mind. I just keep on going with the same old, same old. I'm not going to, you know, look to put on any of this new. I'm just going to go on the way that, and, and again, that's truly your choice. You have the freedom to make that choice. But I'm here to tell you tonight, That's a bad choice. Or you could say you have not chosen wisely. Or you can choose to ask the Lord to help you out with the old, in with the new. When you lose the old and love the new, watch the difference that God makes in your life. Let's pray.